2: The Telegraph. the Telegraph Podcasts Hello, I'm Mina Rizuki and welcome to AFC Telegraph. Don't worry, don't fret. Tom Gibbs is alive and kicking, but just away for a bit, so I'll be your host temporarily. Coming up on today's episode, we're discussing England losing once again in competitive football as they continue to falter against the top sides. Just how much is this down to Southgate no longer wearing a waistcoat? Or is it more football related? It's not all about England though, as Wales, Ireland and Northern Ireland were in action to varying degrees of success. And we pose the question, how many Telegraph writers could beat the current Ireland squad? Plus, the Premier League returns this weekend. Can Watford dominate United? And will Manuel Pellegrini survive the managerial sacking system? But into the studio we go where we've got some new voices this week. But before we introduce them, we've still got football news authority Matt Law with us. Hello, Matt.
3: Hello, and mine old voice today.
2: <laughs> you are. You're part of the old furniture now. Yeah. <laughs> and making their AFC Telegraph debut, we have the boy wonder, Sam Dean. Hello.
0: Hello, thank you for having me.
2: Oh, thank you for coming. And resident Mancunian, Jim White. Hello. I'm depressed
1: because Sam's brought a laptop with him. So I feel underprepared. I'm sorry. No
2: notes, no nothing. How are you going to do this? you Are just going to wing it?
1: No change there in my career. (laughs) I never have a laptop
3: or an iPad, so don't worry. We'll go old school. We'll go old school,
2: yeah. Ah, the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. well, we all know that I love the ICC, but football's most complicated competition got underway this week. The Nations League. Do we feel like we have a grip on it? Do we understand it a little bit better now, the whole procedure of it all?
3: Yeah, I think I, I've kind of got, I made a breakthrough with it. You have to kind of, it's one of those things where you have to almost be kept being told at enough times, like, you know, when you're at maths uh, at school and you're really struggling with something and, and eventually it goes in. And for me, it went in this week and I enjoyed it actually. I mean, it, it did definitely feel, I mean, Sam was there with me and it, it felt more competitive than a friendly, which it was, and I think the crowd bought into it. The fact you can only make the three subs made a huge difference. The game doesn't just disappear after 60 minutes. I'm So far, I'm a big fan.
2: Did you think that people took it a lot more seriously, that it was less more of a friendly atmosphere, but actually you saw that there was a little bit more passion, or did you feel not really, not much?
1: Is it all over for England? That's what I'm not quite sure. Are they already out of it? No, 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 no. no, no. Oh, right, so okay. you haven't got to, grips haven't with, got to it, no. with it? <laughs> no, no. I haven't got to grips with it at all. I have no idea. So no. I'll give you a very brief,
3: this is only part of it, but we're in a group of three with Spain and Croatia. We play them home and away each, and the winners of the group can go into a mini tournament in the summer, and the losers of the group can get relegated, and then you sort of, next time it comes around, you play a worst Caliber of team.
1: When, when I said, "Are England already out of it?" They're already out of it with the draw, aren't they? If they're in a group with three, with Croatia, and Spain. The Before draw. a match was played, they were out of it. All oh, so, right. So you're you're writing us off for relegation uh, already? Oh, okay. Really? Already relegation. Well, what did candidate. you think of their
2: performance against Spain? <laughs> great, speak. but there
1: was, you know, they got Spain and Croatia.
2: So that's it. No, well, that's it over.
1: Uh, G- Gareth Southgate's done a great job of, of of changing our attitudes, but you know, it's Spain and Croatia. We've got no chance.
2: But what about the whole implementing a new style of play, the, the optimism surrounding what happened in the well, World I Cup? Think what,
1: I think what's amazing about this, Mina, is England are on, on the cusp of losing four consecutive matches for the first time ever, is that? Right, yeah. So uh, lose to uh, Switzerland tomorrow and four times they've lost. And yet we're all still optimistic. We're all bouncing. It's great. That's, That's a fantastic change of...
0: I've enjoyed the stat going around that Southgate could be the first manager to get relegated from both the Premier League and with England, which I think is particularly harsh (laughs) after his great summer, but how quickly the halo sort of slips.
2: Okay, well, we understand that they weren't the best team against Spain, but do you think that in any way, shape or form, the ref bottled it and that perhaps Welbeck's goal should have stood?
0: Probably, yes. But I mean, even if he had given that goal, it it kind of would have detracted from the result and performance anyway, which wasn't particularly impressive. I mean... If England had drawn that 2-2, then perhaps the fans would have gone home happier. But it wouldn't have changed any of the problems that we had, which was the same ones we've had for years, which is Spain controlling the game completely. England struggling to have anyone in midfield who could actually get on the ball and pass it around. And in many ways, that goal was sort of... It's one of those where it's more controversial to actually award it than to give it. Because whenever a goalkeeper goes down, the referees just sort of, by default, just give the free kick, don't they?
3: Can I be a bit more optimistic? Oh,
2: please, please. I
3: I totally agree that Spain were the better team and controlled midfield and controlled the game. But... We scored a goal from open play, which we didn't really do at the World Cup. Yeah, precisely. Um, and we create we actually created three or four really good chances. And again in the World Cup, we weren't actually creating chances. We are scoring from set pieces. So I thought that was something to be encouraged by. I thought there were a few performances in there to be encouraged by. I thought Rashford did well. And the fact he scored... I think it was over a year since a striker other than Kane had scored in a competitive game for England. So we need to start sharing the goals around. So that that's encouraging. So there were a few little, you know, green shoots there. I don't think there we're certainties for relegation. I think Croatia could switch off after their their World Cup. Um, they're quite an old squad. That could be the sort, sort of limit of what they got to. You know, they got there. That's it. It'll be interesting to see how they actually approach it when we come around to play them but yeah i I think really we all knew that we're not one of the top top kind of six seven
2: so you just think it was a lucky run to the final of the world Cup.
3: i think the draw definitely helped us definitely and i think that uh it it did mask issues that we've got but i still think there's there's reasons why people are are still optimistic and encouraged encouraged by things and um yeah the Let's hope we don't go four on the run. Switzerland just beat Iceland 6-0 as well.
2: Well, Switzerland is the next opponent that England do face, and Gary Southgate has uh, called up Leicester duo, Ben Chilwell and Demarai Gray into the England squad. You've got the exclusive on this one, uh, Matt.
3: I uh, still can pull a story down and again. Um, <laughs> Chilwell, Chilwell to, to be fair, would, would probably have be been one everyone would have guessed because Luke Shaw suffered concussion he goes back to Manchester United today. He's got to be a massive doubt for their game against Watford yeah. now. And once Southgate said he'd, he'd pull players out the under-21s, Chilwell was a safe bet. Sam, I think you saw the under-21s, didn't you? And Chilwell was, mm. from what I read, one of the better players. So that made a lot of sense. Tamari Gray, I don't think I'd have guessed that, actually. Solanke trained with the seniors last week, so he'd have been a shout. And also Calvert-Lewin, who is one of the few who we talked about last yeah, week, who's kind fantastic. of playing and, and scoring for their club, I thought one of those two would, would get a go. But Damari Gray debuted for the under-21s when Southgate was in charge of them. He seems to have been looking for an opportunity to, to bring him in for a while. He, he was playing Sterling through the middle for the pace. And I think maybe he's he's prioritised the pace of Gray over Solanke and calvert finishing ability. But interesting call-ups and the local... Proud at Leicester will be pleased, I'd imagine.
2: Sam, you actually met Joel. What's he like? Is there something about his personality that makes you think that perhaps he's he's got it more for... Southgate loves him and the experience that he provides. Is there something to do with him that it makes him more of a a reason why Southgate decides to call him up?
0: I think he got called up primarily because he's been very good this season at left-back. I mean, he's played all four games every single minute of Leicester's season. I think I saw a stat as well. He's clocked the fastest top speed in Leicester's team, which is some going with Gray and Vardy in that team as well. And he's done more sprints than everyone else. But he's in really good shape. He had a really busy summer where he spent three weeks on his own running in a park in Milton Keynes to get fit and it's really paid off for him. Um, speaking to him he's a really nice bloke actually he's I mean Matt and Jim will know more than I do but a lot of footballers can be quite difficult to speak to and just sort of quite uninterested. He was very engaging he's happy to chat gave us loads of time after the game and um, no I think he's when well, he's been hotly tipped for, for years he's yeah, been seen that, as a teenage prospect for going back years and years.
3: going back to when I think he's 21 now and going back to when he was about 16 people were really talking about him I think Liverpool and possibly Chelsea tried to sign him before he actually played for Leicester.
0: Arsenal had a look as well.
3: Yeah, and he couldn't get in the Leicester team. for You know, all these big clubs were, were looking at him and he actually couldn't get a game for Leicester. It was all a bit weird for a while. And he he went disappeared off the radar for a couple of years and then has come on really strong. And, you know, I know fans of clubs get very annoyed with us doing this, but it's not going to be long before the Liverpools and the Tottenhams and the Chelsea start looking at him again. Jurgen Klopp bizarrely before uh, Liverpool played Leicester the other week made a point of absolutely raving about him and I know there was a a little bit of fear despite the fact that Liverpool have got Robertson within Leicester that that was seen as some sort of early tapping up job on him so it does tend to be as well once these players of of clubs outside the the traditional top six get an England call up it's not
1: long till they start getting touted with the others. We've got a Great strength in depth, England, in, in the full-back area, haven't we? You know, Alexander-Arnold's coming through. Trippier, Walker, although he's playing centre-back, can go right. And we've got great resources there. The problem is we haven't got anything in the centre of midfield.
2: Is that what it is? Is it, is it just the lack of a, a good midfielder, someone like sort of a Tiago that can control the tempo?
1: It's
3: really someone who can control the tempo. Yeah, I think we're probably actually two, two really top midfielders, like not just one. I don't think one would solve all our... Th- our problems. I think we need one who can pick it up off the defence and, and set the tempo a bit. And then I think we also need another one who can actually beat a man and, and kind of create something a bit more out of nothing.
0: Yeah, I suppose the issue is that Ali and Lingard aren't really central midfield players. I mean, Lingard sort of was a winger slash striker coming through and he's never really played in the heart of midfield for United. And Ali's best form has always come behind the striker, so they're both playing deeper than usual. And it means that against teams like Spain and Croatia, just saw in the World Cup, it's basically one man midfield with Henderson having to cover the whole pitch pretty much, which is no wonder we're sort of swimming against the tide in that when they've got players like Thiago just popping it about and Sergio Busquets. So I do feel that against the better teams, Ali and Lingard can't both be playing in central midfield when you need someone to shore up a bit, whether that's Eric Dyer, I know that's not always been the most alluring partnership between him and Henderson, but um, there's certainly players coming through. I think people like Harry Winks has shown in the past that he can do that kind of role. Will Hughes is doing well for Watford. And the other player who I was thinking about, and Southgate's a big fan of, is Shalaba at Watford. Mm. Obviously, he's missed so much of the last sort of year with injuries, but he's played, I think, about 100 games for England youth teams. And Southgate's always raved about him, hasn't he? He's always been a big fan of him.
2: So I want to know, how, how is it that you would fix this problem? Obviously, you know, if we bring in Brexit, what are the pros and cons that we can find perhaps to improve the English national team? Well, there will be more optimism and we don't look at their matches and think, yeah, we're going to be dominated by a side like Spain or like Germany that know how to possess the ball. Is, yeah. is there going to be a pro to having Brexit?
1: <laughs> wow, what a question.
3: <laughs> You're expecting us to know what's going on with
1: Brexit. Hang on. <laughs> we're, we're going to solve Brexit here. Right. Off you go, Matt. Let's talk
3: about Brexit purely in footballing terms. I think it's probably safest. Um, Yes. Before we all have some like massive row and fight (laughs) over the desk (laughs) and all get sacked (laughs) by the company. Um, But no, it's interesting. You know, there's an article in the Telegraph this week that that pinpointed the fact that the Premier League and the FA are looking at the potential impact of Brexit and that there could be an upside for the English national team in that. Premier League want help from the FA to guarantee that they can get special exemptions for special talents coming in overseas so that the Brexit wouldn't necessarily stop all a lot of foreign players coming over, such as your N'Golo Kantes and your, your Cesc Fabregas. And then the FA see that as a chance to say to the Premier League, well, you, we, we might help you, but we're going to have to increase the quotas of the, the British players and the homegrown players in, in squads maybe from eight to ten. I'm not sure how much of a difference that would make because within that you could still abuse the rules by having 10 sort of British-English players in your squad and not actually playing any of them. And actually it could even make it worse because if you look at the case of Loftus-Cheek, if Chelsea had to have 10 English players in their squad, he wouldn't have been allowed out on loan last season. So therefore he stays at Chelsea and just plays no football. But it does seem there is a little bit of an opportunity there to try and work out some way of increasing the amount of English and British players that should be in a squad. I personally think they need to look at this homegrown rule really closely. For instance, Cesc Fabregas is currently classed as a homegrown player because you can be a homegrown player from basically being at an English club for 3 years before the age of 21.
1: Paul Pogba too would be yeah. Like that. Yeah.
3: yeah, I mean there've been I think Alex Song was one as well and he's it's just a cheat. I mean they're not homegrown players are they? It's just a, a cheat of the system really. So it does give a real opportunity to look at it all in a wider scope and I thought it was interesting that Going back a week when we went to see Southgate, he was really talking hard about the FA needing to put pressure on the Premier League, and I suspect that was in the midst of these talks around around Brexit going on. But if we care about the national team and we care about English players getting a chance, we've got to do something. Some people don't care. Some people just want the strongest Premier
0: League available, in which case you probably don't want quotas. I suppose the cynical fear would be that there are more signings like Barkley to Chelsea, in that the big clubs... Hoover up the sort of good to very good English talent purely because they know they need those players and they can fit in. But Barkley, you know, he's only played; he's not going to play much anymore now. Conference has is coming, really, is he? I mean, he started uh, the first disagree, game. I disagree, actually. Season.
3: I think he will play a lot. Really, I don't think Rümelhart Loftus-Cheat well, but I do think Barkley will is right in there. I think Barkley will will be in and out, but will play,
1: especially with the Europa League. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the way that uh, uh, that Arsenal did it last season, you basically have a Europa League team. Yeah. and I think that definitely Barkley would be one yeah. of those players in that. But that can't be
0: better for his development than playing every week for Everton as a, as a key midfield player.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, he's stagnated at Everton. You, you, mm. the, the, the question that's always been at the heart of the problem is the Premier League clubs are chucking huge amounts of money at their academies. Huge amounts of money. And yet, no one's coming through, you know, at, 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 at Chelsea. It's the great stat about John Terry being the last one who, who, who made it through. And... The, the, the question is, how do you progress that transition? Alexander-Arnold is an interesting player at, at Liverpool in that he, he's had a, a kind of seamless uh, progression through. You know, he was always marked out as a very good young player and then he's suddenly arrived in the first team um, and at an age where most of his contemporaries, if they're lucky, are looking at a loan spell. How do we get that progression? It's interesting. I'll go back to what we were saying earlier. Alexander Arnold's a fullback. Maybe it's easier to do it in those positions.
3: It's really tough. It is really tough. And you know, fans won't necessarily buy into it. You know, they fans always want to see say they want to see young players and get excited to start with with young players. But then if the young players go through a dip, the first thing fans want is a big new signing in to replace them. So,
2: Well, that's what it is. Do you want a better Premier League or do you want the national team to do well? That's always been the topic. Such
3: a difficult debate.
1: The question with England is that we've had this spell of dominating in the younger age groups, Uh, you know, the under-17 World Cup winners, the under-19s and so on. When do we see some sort of benefit from that in the Premier League? That's the... We've got a real issue coming up in the next couple of years. You know, is Phil Foden going to get more than a couple of games this season? You know, is Jaden Sacco playing at um, uh, Borussia Dortmund going to be brought into the, to the England team? But These are not... all the questions. We, we, whether there's any bounty from that success is the big question facing football over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, it's not just minutes as well. It needs to be important minutes. You want them to have the mental ability to play these big matches such as the Champions League and understand how to navigate your way through them rather than having a moment when you just uh, fall apart when you face circumstances. So it's not just playing all your games against Burnley or Brighton and Hove, but I think it's imp- playing important matches will make the difference. That's for a great youngsters. point.
3: I remember when Winks was breaking through at Tottenham Talking to Pochettino about this. And rather than in playing full games in those games, like you mentioned, against Burnley's or in League Cups or whatever, he was coming on for sort of half an hour in games, big games against Manchester City and Arsenal and, and teams like that when the game was in the balance. And Pochettino was explaining to us that, in his eyes, that that was giving Wink's chance of development, far greater chance of succeeding than playing him for full games in in matches that that Tottenham would cruise through or that he wouldn't be particularly tested. So what you say falls right in line with with Pochettino's view on development and Pochettino has probably been, up until Jurgen Klopp now, the best thing for English kids in, in a very long time.
2: Well, Spain don't have that problem. I mean, they seem to have a wonderful national team and a wonderful league. How do you see them under Luis Enrique? Were you impressed by their ability to be a little bit more direct, a little bit more aggressive on the ball?
0: I was quite impressed, particularly as they're also going through this transition period, but everyone was dead afterwards as well, so Spain are quite far ahead of us in all their development. But I mean, The player who really stood out for me was Sal Niguez, he was yeah. sort of box to box, he was in the he scored the goal, the equaliser, and then at one point he snuffed out a Kane chance as well on the other six-yard box, and I thought that was a bit different for Spanish midfielder who, in the last sort of eight or nine years, we've seen them in the middle of the pitch, spraying the passes around, but not necessarily your classic box to box, whereas Sal has all that technical ability, but also he was Aggressive. Getting up and down, he's aggressive and he's strong and he's physical. So he sort of struck me as someone has all those Spanish qualities plus a bit of extra bulk and sort of power as well, which is quite frightening really when you think about what he can do.
2: He's very much labelled a Luis Enrique um, player just because obviously when we think of Spanish players, we think of them being a little bit more horizontal. But he is somebody who could really benefit from that team and there's very few and far between. them. They're talking non-stop about his performances and how much he is set to grow just because of a style of play under Enrique. Obviously, Italy also had their little Nations League against uh, Poland and all everyone could speak about was uh, Mario Balotelli and the fact that he didn't lead the line very well. I think it needs to be pointed out that he is injured and hasn't had very much playing time. But other than Europe, we know that France and obviously Germany played a rather boring draw. Uh, They both won as well last night. But uh, there's also Ryan Giggs at Wales the Messiah, 4-1 victory over the Republic of Ireland. Their first win over them in 26 years. Do you love the whole emerging players and getting them out there?
3: I loved um, watching a bit of Ethan Ampadu in that game. He's a kid at Chelsea, for those who who don't necessarily know who he is. I think he's 17 now. They bought him from Exeter. I, I saw him a bit last season playing for Chelsea, and he was astonishingly good he can play midfield or defence Conte really liked him Sari seems to, to like him I think he will figure a lot in the Europa League this season I I would go as far as suggesting that in, in within two years Ampadu will be playing regularly for Chelsea and that he's going to be a real star and he he made a goal didn't he in that that Wales victory he was one of these that England looked at trying to get and now I think that was the island game was his first competitive game for Wales, so he's completely off the table for England. And mm. that is, you know, I say it's a huge miss. Obviously, Ethan Ampadu feels he's Welsh, so it, it's harsh to say it's a miss, but he he could have been a huge player for England and, and will be for Wales. He he
0: looks really top. The Wales are really reaping the rewards of this aggressive sort of scouting model at these young kids, and they're getting them early and playing them early to sort of tie them down. I mean... David Brooks, another example, he played, I think, for both England and Wales youth teams in the space of a few months. And now he's he played against Ireland, so he's tied down for them as well. And they've got players like Chris Meppham, who's 20, and he was very impressive, both games this weekend, and Connor Roberts, the Swansea, right back too. So there's a good like generation coming through. Just the question is, I
1: suppose, whether Giggs can actually be the one to yeah, answer can I, that. Can I just be the one to pour a bucket of cold water <laughs> over uh, this kind of, <laughs> let's all say Wales are fantastic. They lost to Denmark. Denmark, who apparently were in utter chaos. Yes. Denmark, who played a game three days before uh, with you know kind of anyone who could uh, kick a ball from their uh, amateur divisions. Yeah, they beat the Republic of Ireland. Frankly, Sam Dean and Matt Law. I think I may be past it. Could beat the Republic of Ireland at the moment. <laughs> you know, this is this is uh, a side of uh, uh, this is a side of, of, of they've got some potential. They've got some places. But I think it was a real indication of quite how far they have to travel.
2: Wow, w- way to ruin the optimism yeah. <laughs> surrounding Apple, so Wales.
0: Ampadu Amp- was at fault for both the Denmark goals as well. Yeah, so,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. so I'm not just the only pessimist.
2: <laughs> well, what do we think? Do we think that Bale could be the sort of clutch player that they can rely on going forward? I mean, do you see them doing well at all? Well,
1: well, come on, Bale was absolutely the reason why they did so well in the Euros. A couple of years ago, you know, Bale is a magnificent player because unlike unlike uh, some others uh, of, of his prominence, he loves playing for his country. He's a fantastic ace to have uh, in, in the pack for uh, Ryan Giggs.
3: He actually he can be enough. I mean, it, it proved okay. on that, you know, if you set your team up in the right way, if you've got a player of that ability and he, he really is a world class ability then he can be enough. He can get you through games on his own. It's always a big ask, but he can get you through games on his own and he can probably get you through a qualifying campaign pretty much on his own.
2: Yeah, I agree. Finally, it's all over for the internationals. Soon we can get back to the Premier League and there are some really interesting match-ups, nothing more interesting perhaps than the, the game that kicks us off, which is Tottenham versus Liverpool on Saturday. The last time Spurs hosted Liverpool, Pochettino's men won convincingly. And yeah. a 4-1 result at Wembley, right?
3: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm I'm going to this game on Saturday. I'm really, really looking forward to it because Tottenham, Tottenham need a response now after that Watford game. And, and as we've been discussing a lot on this show, despite their very good results, I don't actually think we've seen anywhere near the best of Liverpool. The two styles, albeit similar, I think complement each other to a, to a really good good game. A lot of people always try and compare Tottenham to to Liverpool and Pochettino to Klopp, and I know he doesn't have it that way. He doesn't actually think they, they do play in a similar way and that he sets his side up quite different differently. But I think it's going to give us a great indicator of where these two teams are at. I also think, traditionally, after this first international break, you start to get a more realistic impression of teams the first few games are quite often, you see a few odd results. You, It's a bit of a bedding-in process. Everyone lets off a few bad performances on early season. But I actually think this is where it gets a little bit more serious after the first international break. And a bit of pressure starts to come in. Because if you start to fall behind after this international break, you you
0: really start to, to find it difficult to make up the distance. So That's an interesting point about Pochettino and Liverpool. Because I suggested to him last year that there were at similar stages in terms of budgets and where they were in the league and sort of playing style. That. He did not like that at <laughs> all. Gave <laughs> that pretty uh, short thrift. I think I probably stand by it a bit in terms of look at the, the money they spend. I think his point was mainly wages and stuff and that kind of disparity between the two players. But um, yeah, it's interesting that he said similar thing to you
1: that he does not respond well to that sort of comparison. Mm-hmm. I'm, g- I'm going to Watford, uh, Manchester United, mm-hmm. and, and that will be a, a, a fascinating match up because Watford have made this in- in- incredible start. I noticed uh, somebody made a very similar uh, pointed out that Watford's results last season were very similar to, well, in fact, identical to Leicester's the season before they won the uh, Premier League. Unfortunately, the Premier League isn't one on what he did last year, so we can rule that out. It may be it may be a nice coincidence, uh, but we can rule that out. I think Watford. F- facing a, a, a really interesting challenge in Manchester United on Saturday. I think that could be a telling moment for them. However, the biggest difference between where Watford are now and where Leicester were when they won the league is that when Leicester did it, everyone else was in complete yeah. chaos. Yes. Uh, at the moment, nobody could describe Liverpool as being in complete chaos. Yes, Manchester City dropped a couple of points at Wolves, but still looked really good. Yes. Tottenham lost at uh, Watford, but are still looking as though they're progressing. So I I think there's a big (laughs) difference But
2: potentially, can you say (laughs) that they don't actually have to fight for anything else? They don't have Champions League, they don't need to play.
1: That's a a big difference. Uh, That's a similarity that they had to um, Leicester Leicester that season. They they look coherent. They look as though they... And, you know, we mentioned Chalabar coming back into the... uh, uh, Potential the first team will use is looking great. So yes, they are a much more coherent side. But I don't think <laughs> this yeah, may come back to it. I don't really really <laughs> <actually A disgusting laughs> thing. Well, that would we oh, be start very. Um, that their, um, potential.
2: Oh, I do like their midfield. I might just prefer it to United's. <laughs> it's
0: interesting what, because this is the first summer since they came up that they haven't changed manager. It's the first time they've had any sort of continuity over the whole summer, and the whole team's not changed apart from. Ben Foster, who's the only new signing to actually start a game this season. So this, you know, this is the most typically turbulent club and they've actually steadied the ship and it's paying off quite handsomely already.
2: Can you trust that we've all seen Mourinho fall flat on his face?
3: I have seen that video. Someone when I was at the game actually texted me and said Mourinho fell flat on his face on the way and someone must have a video of this. <laughs> and, uh, Unfortunately. Within about it. half an hour, the video was doing the rounds. I always feel sorry for them on that. Do you remember when Wenger fell over yeah. at the Stoke train station and everybody sort of laughed at him? I As know. someone six foot three and not the most balanced individual, I have sympathy for people falling over.
2: Hey, I'm five foot three, and this happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I certainly see that. But it's going to be interesting between uh, obviously Watford, but there's West Ham. Yeah, West doesn't... Ham is is taking on um, Everton. It's must win. It's a side of individuals. Can they finally be made to play like a team?
3: Well, it's must not lose. And staggeringly, they were given about three days off last week.
2: Pellegrini's
3: been back to Chile for personal reasons, which I have sympathy for because his family live in, in Chile. But staggeringly, they've only had four players away on international duty and yet they haven't used this international break to work as hard as they could have potentially. They could have had two weeks working together with Pellegrini and they'll probably, by the time we restart, have had a week And that, to me, is extremely surprising for a team now that's got to go to Everton. And then I think they host Chelsea and Manchester United in successive games. You know, they could easily be staring at seven games without any points, which would be, that would be a crisis. It's huge for them, this Everton game, not to lose it. I hear where you're coming from, they need a win. But if they get out of there with a draw, they'll be very happy just to get a point on the board and and give some cause for optimism. And it's they really feel like the club just teetering on the brink of lurching into a crisis if they're not careful.
0: It's a huge test for Sullivan in particular, David Sullivan, because he hired Pellegrini and gave him all this money to spend as you know this new direction. And Pellegrini even said himself at the unveiling that the owner told me I want he wants to build a new club, and it's all about Sullivan handing off the power down to him. And if it's not going very well, which it isn't, if it doesn't turn around fast, then Sullivan might start questioning whether that was the right decision to make, and he might sort of grab the power back again, which would end up with West Ham in the same problem they had this time last year, which was the fans having no faith in the ownership, the ownership sort of interfering too much with what's going on on the field, with the signings, and it all just comes to a head again, which is the last thing anyone needs.
1: I was at uh, Burnley Manchester United the other day and in the press box was Michael Appleton, the former Oxford United manager who uh, was doing some media work. And I just said to him, you know, uh, casually, you know, what are you up to? He said, I'm waiting for October. Which is a really, really telling statement wow. about out of work managers. We're about to enter the killing fields time of uh, the football season, aren't we? As
2: I like came through,
1: we are. This is the time where, before the next international break, a manager really has to sort things out in both the Championship and the Premier League. This is the time where the managers have got to start sorting it out because the chairman will start sacking. This is the killing fields. Well, time. West, West Ham have traditionally been quite reluctant
0: to mm. pull the trigger. They've always given people time. And I don't think that will change. Be reluctant to, to pay out basically. <laughs> <laughs> they, and they, Pellegrini will be very, very expensive. Yeah. they
3: they generally try and make it so uncomfortable for managers that they end up quitting and going insane, and therefore they don't have to pay any money. I don't see. I'd I'd be surprised if West Ham sacked for that reason. And because who would they go for? You know, you're looking at getting back for Sam or something to bail them out they've got nowhere to turn they just have to hope it works but it's a great point by Jim a great point because this is this is the run-up now to the second season which will begin in October I mean history tells you that year after year
2: so if he only has one point by October and that one point is against Everton who don't have Richarlison playing do you think he will
3: I think he'll see it out for a while I mean they they saw it out against their better judgment they saw it out with Avram Grant who was the last person to make as bad a start as, as yes. Pellegrini but with Avram Grant they
1: were sleepwalking into yeah. relegation yeah I
3: they mean, could end ended... up doing the same thing but I, I i don't see them making a change before the new year if they were even if this were to continue but just one point on west ham in, in terms of how they do their business burnley someone was talking me through this not long ago that when when burnley came up to the premier league and got relegated to start with They spent all their money on infrastructure. Mm. People wouldn't know that Burnley have the most amazing training ground and facilities. You would think they probably train, you know, on cow fields, and it's all very spit and (laughs) sawdust. It's not. It's a great training facility. They've got great facilities. They've invested loads of money on it. They put all their money into that because that that, they felt that's the way to grow the club. And of course, they came back up. Wonderful season last season. Having a difficult time now, but that has worked. West Ham are the opposite. They put all their money, always into changing managers and changing players. And their infrastructure, for anyone who's been to West Ham's training ground, is dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Their facilities are dreadful. This was a big thing of Moyes. He wanted a complete overhaul of it. He wanted massive money spent on it. And the owners didn't want to. They wanted to put the money into the squad. Moyes could be proved right on this.
2: You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Well, John Terry set to complete a surprise move to Spartak Moscow after reportedly accepting a two-year deal with the Russian side. The former Chelsea and England captain has been without a club since his contract with Aston Villa expired at the end of last season. What do you think about this move? Were you surprised?
0: Only the second... Englishman to play in the Russian Premier League behind? David Bentley. FC Rostov Boom. legend, yeah. Rostov legend. Uh, it's interesting because um, Terry did an interview uh, this weekend with I uh, think the Daily Mail saying how he's got plenty of options on the table. He mentioned a Premier League club was coming in for him as well. Within about 12 hours of that, he signed for Russia. So I was quite surprised having read that piece first that he then went off to Russia. And there was talk that he would go back to Villa, wasn't it? There was a lot of talk
3: about going back to Villa because we, we, I am a Villa fan, I am uh, not so proud to admit, <laughs> uh, having a slightly defensive crisis. I was surprised as well. I mean, it came out of nowhere. I mean, I don't follow Russian football that closely, um, but apparently one of their main defenders suffered an ACL, will be out for the season. And a week or so ago, Spartak, uh, managed by Carrera, who was Conte's assistant at Juventus and the Italian Italian national national team. team. Yeah, Um, And he got on the phone to Conte, who gave John Terry an absolutely glowing reference, told him he'd stroll through the Russian Premier League and they put the package together to go and do it. One thing I would say about this is that you can criticise some players at the end of their careers for start to go and chasing money in bizarre ports of the world. And had Terry done this as soon as he left Chelsea, I think there would have been some questioning, is Terry just going for the money? But Terry last season put in a brilliant shift for Villa. He went and did it in the Championship, really tried to get them up, put his body on the line playing an obscene amount of games for his age. So if Terry now wants to go and take a bit of money in a, in a far flung place. I don't think anybody can criticise him for it.
2: Is it really money? I thought it was just about 1.8 million.
3: Yeah, but that's after tax.
2: Ah, oh, right. Okay.
3: Which, you know, I think is a, a decent whack.
2: And indeed it is. Um, Carrera's all about the winning mentality, so Terry might just be the perfect fit. Meanwhile, a stray dog has become the unofficial assistant manager of a South American football team after refusing to leave the club's training ground. This is a Paraguayan side called the Club Dos de Mayo. God, I mean, have you ever seen anything more outrageous?
3: <laughs> the dog will be more vocal than uh, Steve Bold used to be with Arsene
0: Vengo, ain't he? At least the dog will make <laughs> like some bold noise. Yeah, Bold, bold just the sat tactics. there silent. Quite a, it's quite a well, quite a popular, you know, good cop, bad cop, manager and assistant combination here. Maybe the dog brings all the bite, a bit like um, Simeone's assistant at Let's Go Madrid. Enormous. Oh, Burgos. yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's <laughs> enormous, and then he's just like terrifying. Maybe the dog's got a similar role to that.
1: Are you <laughs> suggesting that Simeone isn't terrifying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he this needs guy's another, another one. Another level, though. <laughs> <laughs> Rui
3: Ferreira, for a while was nicknamed the little dog. Mm. Mourinho's little dog.
2: Well, now there's an actual the little dog. dog. <laughs> That's all from this week's Audio Football Club. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club online and please leave a review whilst you're there. Thanks to Abby Patterson and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.
1: Hey,
0: it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.